How you guys doing today? You guys are all excited for that legit comedian though, right? And I come up here and like not so legit, but you know, we'll see how it goes. Well, hey, we're in our, uh, our, our series in 2 Timothy, but uh, before we get in, let's go ahead and bow our heads. God, we welcome you here today. Lord, let, um, let our our, our ears, let our hearts be open for what you have for us, Jesus. God, I pray that um, we would leave here today being encouraged, God, of, of the calling that you have on our lives, God, and the, the privilege it is to partner with you to pursue your will. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, uh, any series that's gonna be titled Things to Fight For is gonna have my attention. There's, anyone else here? Yeah. You guys, because... You know, we enjoy a lot of different things in life, but it's the things that we're passionate about are the things that we fight for. Amen? And, and today we, we get to open up uh, this letter that Paul is sending to Timothy, and we, we get to look at some things that Paul is very passionate about that he calls us to fight for. And, and part of what I feel like shows our passion is how often we repeat ourselves when talking about it, right? I don't know if you guys are this way, but you know, I find in my house, I, I, I find that a parent these days that think something that I'm passionate about is maintaining household temperature at a level that it needs to be at. Is anybody else with me on here? My kids, not only do my kids know, but my kids' friends that come over know that, that there's, a, there's about a two-second window of them opening the door to when that door needs to be closing before I'm calling someone out on it, right? I mean, I, I, can, I can be standing in our living room and sense that there's a draft coming from some unopened door, some, something that's going on. It's something that like reaches into my soul and I can, I can feel that. And, and so constant, my dad was always like the, hey, you left the light on. Any light people in the house? Like it's your job to like ensure that all the lights, as soon as someone like leaves a room, you know, like that they're making sure that light gets turned off. Uh, but the things that we're passionate about are the things that we fight for and the things that we constantly are repeating ourselves on. And, and Paul has a similar uh, passion in his letters to Timothy. So we're going to entitle this message, Fight for Righteousness. Paul calling Timothy to fight and contend for righteousness, both in his life and in the life of his congregation of his church. And we know that through Paul's experience with Timothy and Paul's experience with this church in Ephesus, he has a, a really good understanding of, of what this church is going through through different times. And, and not only that, he knows what this church is called to be. And this church is an influencing church. This, this city is an influencing city. And, and the region is affected by what happens within the walls of this city. And so for Paul, this isn't just a... Um, an encouragement for Timothy and in, in his congregation, but there are certain ramifications that are happening because what becomes culture inside this community of a church gets spread out to the rural areas. So Paul is, is wanting to convey a certain type of uh, sense of urgency to Timothy, so much so that we see that even in his previous letter to Timothy, He's saying this a similar thing. So we're going to start off at the end of his last letter in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Starting in verse 20, it says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. 
Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. Fast forward four years from now to where we are in 2 Timothy, where Paul says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hemaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Instantly, we see Paul calling for a priority of righteousness to be in the spirit of how Timothy is leading his church. And at the core of how the church is communicating is God's word would come from a place that is focused out of righteousness rather than just being the right ones. It, we, we see that, that, that Paul is, is, is encouraging Timothy to, to try to stay away from the personal agendas, the false teaching, the, the unproductive debates, and to have those things quickly identified and removed. And he calls into, into question two things. He, he calls into question this, this quarreling about words and also false teaching, and when he is addressing these quarreling of words, I, I think of this one saying that's always stuck with me, and it's, it's that in an argument, if you care more about winning the argument than you do about winning the person, you'll end up losing both. I think it's important for us to remember when we're, when we're in a congregation setting and we're with, with fellow believers and and. And even when we're outside of the walls of our church, there's something that's um, more important than the end result of our discussion. There's, there's something of eternal value that God places on the relationships that we share. And, and, and even in these conversations that we have that, that not only are, are, are ways for us to grow with each other and to build each other up and to, um, to at times help shape the other person, but, but if, if, if we're not careful, there can be things that creep in, much like gangrene does, that, that can begin to disintegrate the relationship and, and lead to death. I, I, was, I was thinking about, you know, some of those, how, how we end up getting into conversations that turn out to be more than just a friendly uh, discussion, right? You know, I mean, like, we can talk about sports all day, and, and we can talk about you know, uh, different restaurants or movies or, or things that we enjoy. But we all have that, we all know that feeling when, when a conversation goes from friendly discussion to uh, something a little bit more personal, right? Yeah. I mean, we feel like our body kind of like start tensing up a little bit and the air starts uh, getting vacuumed out of the room. And, um, and we sense that there's, there's something different that kind of takes place. There's a different spirit that rests over that conversation. 
I was, uh, in my mind, I was, I was trying to come up with some type of like good example to, to put in this spot, something that's just hot button enough, issue enough to like, uh, for us to all like have some experience and, and to be able to recall, you know, how we feel when those discussions start happening around us, uh, but that wouldn't be too inflammatory to have half of the people feel like they need to like speak their mind in this setting uh, just before we leave today. And, uh, and it's funny because like I couldn't really think of one. And, and you sitting there today, you, you might have, as soon as I started talking about that subject, it might have like, you already might have started getting tense because, you know, there's not a whole lot of non-high-tension uh, conversations that are happening these days, right? I mean, there's not a whole lot of like areas uh, where we can have difficult conversations about things without there being some very personal feelings that, that get infused with it and, and escalate it into something that, that doesn't feel as productive uh, as it really, as we would want it to be. And, and I think a lot of that is just in our society today where, uh, you know, we, we just have this like uh, demand for us to care about things at a, at a level that uh, is pretty much just at the height of whoever is leading that charge, the same passion that they have for it. And so uh, sometimes we might get into a conversation and we might say something where it's like, oh, I feel this way. And a lot of times there comes a lot of uh, added baggage to, to that based off of what the other person has heard being talked about those things. And so for us, it's really hard a lot of times to have a conversation that's just clean and we're able to come to it with, with our own experiences, how we approach the subject, even if it's something that, that we haven't even arrived at a conclusion yet. But sometimes in these heated uh, discussions, it's, it's almost like they're, it's, they're just headed for conflict as soon as they begin. And there's a moment that Paul is kind of addressing here where where as, as believers, we can sense that a conversation is turning unproductive. And at that moment, we have a choice to make. We either let the, the righteousness of God lead us out of that conversation and, and, and just cover that situation with grace and with mercy and with love, or we continue to pursue because we want to win. And I, I get this picture of two people across from each other starting fires, Right? And they keep adding fuel to their fire and they keep building it up bigger and bigger. And with the thought that is, if I get my fire big enough, it's gonna put yours out. But at the end of the day, where we left with, we're just left with one giant fire, right? And Paul, I don't believe, is, is saying that the, the opinions that you have aren't valid or they're not important. I think God uh, gives us desires, he gives us passions, he leads us in areas and and, and, and there are things based off our experience and there are things that we feel deeply and that we care about genuinely and, and, and we look to scripture and we, and we seek truth out of it but, but there's something that God's wanting to point us in a direction of there's a point which a, a conversation becomes unproductive at a certain level and it's, and it's up to us to be able to be led by the Holy Spirit of being convicted of when that moment is. We need to be reminded to be discerning on what we involve ourselves in and ask if the situation is a matter of righteousness or just more of us having a desire to be right. And you might say, but what about actual, legitimate, theological 
issues, right? So, so we see Paul, and, and he's, he's referring back to this, uh, to this situation in his previous letter with these two guys who are, who are leading people away from the faith because of the teachings that they're, that they're speaking. And we don't know detail-wise exactly what was going on, but we know enough to where uh, there was something going on about them, them contradicting the fundamental teachings of Jesus and, and what Jesus was, was saying was going to happen in future times. And and so we see there's a moment where these people are, are put outside of, of the community of faith. Whereas as, as what Paul considers gangrene in this, in this analogy, that what happens with gangrene is uh, when, when there's a loss of blood flow to areas, the tissue starts dying out. And, and it can infect other areas and it can spread. And, and, and if it's not treated early, it can, it can consume the body and, and it can lead to death. And, and what Paul's saying is this is one of those times where we have to be vigilant on what's being said. And if we see something that is counter to what Jesus' core, what the, what the gospel says, that we need to be quick to act on that. And if there isn't repentance, if there isn't correction, if there isn't a, a turning back towards the teaching of Jesus, then at that point, the only thing we have left to do is to put that outside of the community and to remember that the, the, the health of the church is, is so important that it's worth us having those, those conversations and worth us assessing those things constantly. And it's tough sometimes, right, to kind of figure out what those, what's on the other side of the line, you know? There's a lot of things that, that we in different church communities, and, and we're part of the four-square denomination, and so there's going to be things that we do at our church that might look different than other faith expressions, right? Like, uh, we don't do church exactly the way the Methodists do, or the Baptists, or the Lutherans, but, but there's this sense of community around the gospel message, and that might look different ways in different times. There might be parts of scripture that we'd interpret differently or that we'd, we'd lean more one way or the other, but, but there's, this, um, there's this harmony that comes into it and it's almost a beautiful picture of the way God makes us different and in the way that we can worship God differently, but, but the core of the fundamental uh, doctrine that, that, that God teaches through the gospel remains the same. I love this about our denomination that, that um, we have this saying that says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. In those essential things, the things that are core to what we believe, we are united by, right? Those are the things that encapsulate where the circle begins and ends. And in the things that are non-essentials, the, the things that one person might prefer more or, or feel more led to, there's, there's some give there. There's the ability that God's going to work differently in each of us. But in all things, at the end of the day, the thing that covers all of this is God's grace and us working through that grace and, and, God, and God giving us the love to be able to cover this. Uh, another author gave this example that, that all of these different fundamental teachings would be springs or bricks. And, and I don't know if you guys have uh, ever grown up on like the sketchy trampoline in the back of your friend's house, <laughs> right? Where, where it's like it's missing quite a few springs, but it's, you know, as long as you stay on this side of it, you're safe, you know? And 
And that parts of our theology, parts of our uh, belief would be springs in a trampoline that, that someone could potentially take that spring out and, and say, you know, uh, is this core to what you believe? And we'd say that, you know, I, I believe that the Bible says this, but, but my trampoline still functions as a trampoline without that one spring. Like, you can remove that one piece. I'm not gonna, that's not the hill that I'm gonna die on, Right? Whereas bricks making up a wall, each one is pivotal to the foundation, right? Bricks in a wall are not meant to be uh, taken out. Like you don't play Jenga with brick walls, right? (laughs) And so we would have this sense when we go into these types of conversations where we would be strong in what we believe in, but in those outer areas that... um, that maybe there might be some discussion, we would hold those with a loose hand and we would listen to what other people say and then we would take that and we'd weigh that with scripture on our own. And, and we'd, we'd have some grace to be able to let other people um, seek God in, in a way that, that isn't so um, closed up to other people's interpretations or other people seeing other facets of God. In verse 19, it says, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. I mean, isn't it, isn't it great that at the end of the day that we know that God's word holds true no matter if we misrepresent it from time to time? I, I used to think that pursuing God was like walking on a frozen lake. You know, I was so worried about my footing and making sure that I didn't fall through on, on some weak patch or that I wouldn't, wouldn't stray too far. And man, as, as, you know, as, as I grow in my relationship with Christ, I, I kind of feel like his desire for our pursu- pursuit of him would be like that road, would be like the coyote chasing the roadrunner, Right? Like just this passionate pursuit of him, this hunger for knowing more about him. And, and just like the coyote, we might find ourselves sometimes over the cliff. I love that picture, you know, when he like runs out and then he like uh, notices that the ground's not there. And so there's that like slow like walk backward like in air till he hits dry land again. And, and I think that there's, there's some space that we have in our pursuit of Christ where where we, where we can mess up, you know? We can get uh, into a place where someone needs to come beside us and correct us and, and, and the elders in the church uh, pointing out different things and that's how we grow as individuals in our relationship with Christ and that's, that's the importance of the community of believers that we find ourselves in. In verse 20, it says, in a large house there are, only, there are articles not only of gold and silver but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who clean themselves with the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. So Paul bringing us to a place where we understand the purpose of righteousness. And in my house, I don't know about your house, but I have a hierarchy of towels in my house. Anybody else like me, I don't, you don't necessarily have to have them labeled on the shelf, but you know mentally, you know which ones are the special guest ones, you know which are the regular guests, or like when your family comes to visit, you know which ones are yours, you know which ones are your kids, you know which ones are the general purpose ones, or maybe like it's laundry time, 
And then you have the ones that find their way out to the garage, right? To never be heard from again. Until you have the spill that you need the sacrificial garage towel for. <laughs> Having kids and a dog, man, I know very too well. Like, you must have one of these ready at any given moment. But the funny thing about these towels is, is they start off in one, you know, the purpose for them when they first come out, and, and they're fluffy, and they're soft, and the more that they're used, and, and, and the fact that our washer machines aren't perfect, they can't restore it to the original condition. So there becomes this, this um, progression that they take. And that one time they, they clean up that spill that stains, or the, the, the time that the kids get their pink toothpaste all over one of your white ones, that dictates its future use. What, what we use something for dictates what it's going to be good for in the future. And, and Paul's painting a similar picture in how we're supposed to treat ourselves and the way we approach conversations. And that we are created for special purposes. God has given you opportunities to speak his truth in situations to bring life to others. That is our purpose. But when we decide that we are going to use our vessels for non-special purposes and, and getting involved in dirty situations and having conversations and letting them get past the point of, of where we know we're supposed to, 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 to choose grace in, instead of, of winning an argument, when, when, we, when we put ourselves in that position, we no longer are able to be used by the master for these situations. We're, we become in the situation where, where we're, we're just good for washing the car afterwards. And I think that there's something very specific that, that, that Paul is telling Timothy if he's repeating this conversation over and over and over again. Because he knows the calling of this church and the influence and the potential that this has. And so he's painting a very serious picture on just how aware Timothy needs to be when approaching them. I think about, has anyone here ever used a really good knife before? Anyone like, you have a really good knife and you've experienced that? It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, like, knowing Jesus and getting to use a very perfectly sharp professional knife. They're, they're very close <laughs> together. And uh, my, uh, when I went to college, I started working the food service there, and, and eventually I became a cook, and that was a big moment of my life. And with that moment came the need to have a professional knife, right? So I got my first professional knife set, and my, and my, my first, like, actual like, you know, non-plastic handle, like doesn't go in the dishwasher kind of knife. And, and I started um, learning how to use it correctly. And, and me and that knife, man, I, so I still have it. It's my favorite knife. I've had it for 18 years. And, and it just, it, we've cut so many carrots and, <laughs> and, and potatoes and onions together that it just slides right into my palm. You know, like the weight of it, like I'm telling you guys, if you, if you guys haven't had that moment of like a really solid knife cutting through something cleanly, we need to talk, okay? You can come over to my house, you can borrow one of mine. But, 
but in the same way that like this knife was specifically made for a purpose that was special. It was made for a professional that was going to be doing this often and that needed precise lines. It needed to be able to work in a way that wouldn't uh, slow me down or it wouldn't create um, mistakes, but that it would cut through anything that I put up against it cleanly. And But part of having that uh, knife meant that I needed to care for it in a different way. It didn't go through the dishwasher like the other knives, and it didn't go in the drawer like the other ones. After every shift, I would, I would make sure it was cleaned and sharpened and honed and, and put back together, and I would slide it back in its spot on my knife roll, and I'd put it up on the shelf. No one else got to use this knife, right? This was for me. This is when I needed to cut something, I knew exactly where my knife was, and I knew it was going to be ready to go. A lot of times in our lives, we want to be sharp knives, but, but to set ourselves apart in that way, to, to abstain from some of those things that our, our flesh desires or that, that we want to pursue, sometimes we, we think we can kind of have it both ways. We can, we can live in both worlds. We can be the miracle blade, too, of the knife world. And, and I'm, you know, I don't know how many miracle blade, too, truthers we have in here, but like I, I, I was impressed the first time using one too. So I completely understand the, you know, the pull from, from, you know, going straight from cutting pipe or brick to cutting tomatoes. Like that's amazing versatility. And, and sometimes in our lives, I, f- I feel like we, we think that we can kind of have one foot in each side, right? We can, we can be sarcastic and, and we can be quick-witted to, to cut people down to size, but, but we can also be genuine at times, and we can put that hat on. And I feel what God is saying is that if we're not careful when we go into that other mode, I'm not saying sarcasm and quick-wit is bad, because I, I genuinely enjoy other people that are sarcastic. <laughs> I, I appreciate that about you guys. Um, but there's that sense of when we get into the unproductive side, right? When we start letting that become something that we enjoy and, and, and something that we feel like if, if we're uh, cutting other people down some, it's building ourselves higher. And we, we get involved and we use that as a crutch sometimes. When we're getting defensive, sometimes we'll lash out at someone. Or when we feel insignificant or we feel fear, sometimes we'll use these types of conversations to, to fight back and God's saying that the more that we use ourselves for that purpose, the more, the, the more of our uh, communication to others becomes in that mode. Before, when other people know us more by uh, the conflicts that we have on social media, the, the less we're able to speak grace and peace and love into their lives. The moment that they have a need and, and, they, and they don't know who to turn to and, and they're maybe ashamed of what's going on and there's this, this sense of, of dread and fear and they need someone to talk to but, but they need a safe place and the person that they go to is the one where they see exuding that all the time. You know, that that's, that's the life that they lead, that, that that's the type of vessel that they are to God and that God uses them often. When I need prayer, I go to people that I know are in prayer all the time. When I need advice, I know people that, that are giving advice to me in a way that, that 
ignores just how badly I might have gotten myself into trouble, right? You know, you, know, you had that, that one parent maybe that was the one you'd go to when things were really bad because you knew they would, they would bypass the I told you so and they would get straight into like, okay, here's where we go from here. God's calling us to, to be that for other people. There's a purpose that he has for us seeking righteousness in our lives. Verse 22 says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who would call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And at this point, we're like, we get it, Timothy. <laughs> we get it. We're gonna, or Paul, we're gonna stop having these, these arguments. But this one concept that he has when he talks about fleeing the evil desires of our youth. And, and we see that in scripture a lot for a lot of different reasons. But if he's talking about this, this getting involved in, in stupid arguments, uh, I, I tend to think a lot about, you know, where I was as a youth and, and seeing where my kids are today, Right? And I, and I feel like there's a quota in my life of how many times I need to tell my kids that's not important. And I'm not saying that they're not important or that, or really, or their desires are important, but sitting on the right-hand side of the car for a 15-minute car drive is not worth crying over. Like, it's not that important. I promise. But, but in thinking about it, you know, to them, the, 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 the extent of their existence is far less than mine is. 15 minutes to me, man, I've spent, I've had a lot of 15 minutes in my life, more than I'd like to admit right now. But for my kids, man, you know, their entire existence does not span the length of time that Friends was on the air. Like, Ross and Rachel broke up and got back together more times than they've had birthdays. So for them, 15 minutes is a substantial chunk of time. And I think us, too, when, when we think about, man, like the things that we get wrapped up in and the things that we get focused on. And when we hear God say, don't worry, it's not that important. A lot of times our initial response is, God, you don't understand. This is extremely important. And he's saying, no, in the scope of eternity, from where I'm sitting what I want you to focus on is not this because it's not that important. And in the same way, these, these desires of our youth about like taking these things and, and holding on to them too tight. And, and when the Bible says flee, I, I think of uh, in the same way that, you know, when you're in California, the state burns once a year, right? It's just like everything just catches on fire. And so growing up out in the mountains, it's just part of life and you know the different uh, escalations as far as like uh, the evacuation sequence, right? So you've got your warnings, and that's basically just like, hey, you see the smoke in the air, you, you get a beat on where it's at, you get a beat on where it's headed, and you're just kind of prepared. Maybe start packing a couple of things. And, and then it comes time where the requests start coming out. Maybe a fireman comes to your door, or on the radio you hear that they're evacuating certain uh, portions. And um, and at that point, you're starting to think about it a little bit more. But you still have time to be strategic about what you bring. You know what I mean? Which, which photo books and which pets and stuff like that you like pack up. I'm, that sounded really bad. I didn't mean it like that. That's where that comment needs to come into play. You take all the pets. 
And every, you know, it's like, you know, it's funny, in a small town, man, everyone, like, there's this sense of, like, almost like uh, excitement in that, like, I've got a horse trailer, and where you need me, and everyone bands together, right? Uh, but then you've got the order part. And the order part is, is the same way that when, um, when the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and Mary and said, you need to take Jesus and flee to Egypt now. In the same way that when that order comes in to evacuate the fire, the, what they're basically saying is where you're at is very quickly going to turn to flames and ash, and you need to not be here when that happens. And what Paul's saying is, is at this point, man, you need to get out of the place that you're at. If you spend too much time in this area and you, you spend too much, too much of, of, of your, your energy enveloped in these conversations that don't lead to life, it's gonna, all that's gonna be left is ash. And what could possibly be more important than the desires of our heart? Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. And that's why, right? It's because there's lives at stake. Because the purposes that God has made us for are far greater than the time that we spent deciding who is more right and who is more wrong. But in this scripture, we also are reminded of the source of our righteousness. I, I was out uh, down in California at uh, Newport Beach, me and some friends, and we're playing out in the ocean. And uh, we're, we know that we're out pretty far, um, but it's not anything that we've, we haven't done before. And, um, and all of a sudden, we, we see this boat that's kind of like, kind of coming along uh, the edge. And so we're not paying attention to the shoreline. We're, we're just watching this boat. There's no sharks. If anyone's getting super excited about a shark attack, that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> but this boat's coming by, right? And we're kind of watching, and people are getting in the boat. And we're like, what's going on? And then at that moment, we turn around, and we see that we are substantially further away from the shore than we thought we were. And at that point, we realize, oh, we're in a riptide. So we start swimming parallel to, to the shore, um, but, but we realize that, like, this is gonna take forever and we're gonna tire. And you know how you do that, the, the mental math on, like, how far away, like, safety is and, like, where you're currently at? And, and uh, soon the, the boat gets up to us, and, and so we get in the boat. And I just remember sitting down in the boat and just feeling, like, so ashamed, right, like of being rescued. And, and I, you know, looking back at that time, um, it would have been really a jerk move as, as other people are getting on the boat to look at him and make fun of him, right? To be like, hey, idiot, welcome to safety. But a lot of times I feel like in our, in our walks, the way that we look at non-believers is, is the same way. We're, we're rescued in a boat. Jesus has, has paid uh, for our sins, and we can't stop getting down on non-believers for acting like non-believers, right? In the same way that every time I have to be reminded that my kids are kids, so I say act your age, you know? It's like they are doing that. <laughs> if... 
if our mindset of how we approach others and in and, and, and those conversations where, where we're grappling with, uh, with standing hard for truth, if we're remembering in our hearts where we were before Jesus saved us, if we're remembering the condition that our, our spirits were in before the Holy Spirit came in and convicted us and, and, and gave us anchor points to be able to realize what was wrong and what was right, if we were to take that and we were to filter in how we approach others, I think we'd find ourselves uh, realizing that we don't have to have arguments in the same way that we are now. That our, our focus should be praying for their souls and, 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 and showing them Jesus and, and remembering that the issues of today, although they are important and, and, and we should contend for truth and for justice, but at the end of the day, man, I care so much more about their soul than I do about being right about a subject that it could change within three to five years. And I feel like that's Paul's heart that he's trying to get into Timothy's heart, that he's, he's trying to remind Timothy that, that the source of the righteousness that we seek is found only within Christ. And that moment where, where we realize that we're we're a towel that's, that's made its way to the garage. We've, we've picked up spills that we shouldn't have, and we're no longer good for, for the good company, that now our only purpose is really for common use. Or we that knife that, uh, that has been used cutting raw chicken, and, and we know that we can't go back to cutting other things. We have to be clean first. And in the same way, a towel can find its way back into the good graces of the, the closet inside again is when we allow Jesus to come inside and we allow him to take our vessel that we know we've put in, in places that we're not supposed to and we let him clean that out. When we're aware of, of what he has saved us from and what we still need saving from. I think about... Uh, Whenever you go in to get a checkup, I used to get uh, sinus infections every November. It was just like this weird thing. It was like every November I'd start feeling horrible, and then I'd realize, I'd look at the calendar and be like, oh, okay, cool. Got to go into like urgent care. And, and then it becomes a process of, uh, well, how fast can I move this conversation to get my prescription of amoxicillin and like be on my way? But you know, they have, like anytime you go in, you get run through the whole like system, right? Like I don't know if like, you know, they, they charge you per like time they, ch they check your blood, temp your blood pressure or whatever. But, but there's something about going in and they, they, they want to do the full meal deal checkup on you. And realizing really how important that is in our lives spiritually. And in the same way, uh, medically with age, I feel like it kind of needs to be done more often. I kind of feel in the same way spiritually with age. We tend to accumulate more things that aren't like God, right? The older we get, it seems like the more often we have to take a step back and we have to assess what God's doing in our lives and, and what our hearts are doing. What are we able to be used as vessels by God in the way he intended 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning out, paints a pretty tough picture. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, 
slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. You know, it's, it's easier for us to do the checkup for other people and, and give them a good idea of the areas that they need to improve on, right? I mean, it's easy for us to, to see some of these things and, and hand those out like prescriptions. But it's tough for us to take that moment and, and look at our own lives and, and let God sort through the barnacles that we've collected living life. Which leads us to what Paul is speaking about, the fruits of righteousness. The way we see if we're being used by God in the way he intended is we look at the fruits that we're producing. When people talk about us, when people think about us, when, 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 they're, when they're not worried about what we're gonna say back to them, when they tell us how we're, when, when they're just in their own thoughts and they're, they're reviewing us as people, are they, are they speaking these words? Are we identified by the bad fruits that we produce because we're so concerned with living on our flesh versus giving that aside and living for his righteousness. And once we make that connection, once we take that time to be in to reflect and, and we come to that place where we understand, God, what he's pointing out to us, it's the same reaction that we have when the doctor gives us the prognosis, right? It's what can I do? How can we fight this? How can I get better? And saying we don't, we don't look to God and say, you know what? I don't think it's that big of a deal right now. The gangrene hasn't spread that far. I think I'm gonna continue to let it go until it becomes a bigger deal, you know? Everybody's got their own little illnesses. No, if we find out something is, 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 is happening inside our bodies, we, we wanna know how to fix it right away. And spiritually, we need to be the same. We can be complacent when we find, when God points out these things. And so what is the answer? What's, what's the diagnosis going to be? What's, the, what's, what's gonna be the prescription to, to get better? It's found in 2 Corinthians 7.10. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. That sorrow that we feel sometimes of, of, of just knowing that we haven't been, using, been being used in the way that God would want us to. It's such a special thing, even though it sucks so bad. Because that's what leads us to repent. And without repentance, we continue to only be vessels used for common things. God has called you for a purpose. There, there are individual talents and strengths and opportunities that you will have in your life that, that God hasn't given to other people. You are his special knife in his, in his, in his knife bag and, and, and he wants to be able to take you out and use you when those opportunities come up. But we can only be used by God if we're being cleaned. And I feel like God gives us a great way for us to check and see if the cleaning process is working and it's found in Galatians 5.22. Says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Can we just bow our heads? And I just want us to take just a little bit of time as we respond to this word today and, and, and just let God just working through the Holy Spirit come and, and convict us of the things that, that we, the, the fruit that we're producing that is not of him. And it's not to condemn us. It's not to make us feel bad about ourselves. It's not to lord it over us. It's because he has purpose for us that, that we're preventing him from being able to use us in. And he desperately wants to use us to bring those that are far from him back into relationship. So Lord, I just speak good fruit over this congregation. God, I pray that we would value so much seeing love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness worked out in our lives, Jesus, that that, that would be the thing that we strive for. God, that it wouldn't, it wouldn't be about being on top or, or being out in front or being seen or noticed, but God, that we would be known for the good fruit that we produce. And not just so that we could feel better about ourselves, God, but that we can be used by you, God, that people would see that we're a safe person to confide in. God, that people would see the joy and the life of you flowing through us and they would desire that. God, search our hearts this morning, God. We seek your righteousness, God, not for our gain, but for your glory. God, help us this week as at our jobs, God, in our families, at our homes. God, with our, with our friends. Lord, give us, give us new eyes to see those who are far from you and give us new hearts and minds in how we're to carry out conversations and know when it is that we're supposed to, to end that conversation in love. Or, or to not hold so tightly to the desires of our youth. Give us eternal thinking. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. God is so good, isn't he? And he's called you guys to do amazing things. And we're so excited that you're part of this community and we get to share that with you. Have a great week, and we will see you next week.